So we've all met somebody along the way, uh, or you've at least read about somebody, but you've likely encountered somebody who you would say, they've got really unshakable faith. You know, they, they've gone through all sorts of stuff, uh, and they just like, they come out of it the other side. Even if you're not a religious person or you don't have much faith of your own, you've probably met somebody like that. And there's just this never-ending flow of confidence in them about, about who God is, that God's in control, that he's involved, and that just like nothing shook them. It was just kind of an amazing deal. We just sang that song, It Is Well With My Soul, and some of you guys know the story behind that. Uh, a guy named Horatio Spafford. Isn't that a great name, Horatio? Not too many Horatios around anymore. But Horatio uh, lived back in the 1800s. He was a Presbyterian layman, and uh, he actually lost everything he had in the Great Chicago Fire. And they had no insurance. It took him a long time to kind of uh, rebuild. They were, had been ruined financially. And then he and his wife lost their son to scarlet fever. While he and his family were going on a trip to Europe, partly uh, for a ministry uh, uh, trip with the great preacher Dwight Moody, at the last minute, Horatio had to stay behind in Chicago on business for a couple days, so he sent his family on ahead. And while they were crossing the Atlantic, their ship collided with another ship, and it sank rapidly, and all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent him a telegram which said, Saved alone, what shall I do? And when Horatio received the cable, we read, he paced all night. And then finally, finally, he said, I am glad to trust the Lord when it will cost me something. Oh, like imagine what kind of faith that took to be able to get to that place. Shortly after, as he was traveling to Europe to meet with his grieving wife, his ship passed near that same spot where his daughters had died, and he was inspired to write those words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know it is well. It is well with my soul. It's like, wow, that's some amazing, amazing faith. Maybe you've come across somebody like that. They just face some like unimaginable loss or some sort of suffering or pain or, or disappointment. But they've just been, had this confidence in God and they were convinced that there's more to this life than just this life. And they, they, it's like they know there's a God who, who sees and a God who cares. And a God who sometimes intervenes, but sometimes chooses not to intervene. But their faith, man, it's just unshakable. And you talk to people like that, and, and you just come away inspired. Right? You just kind of come away from them going, oh, wow. You know, and it's not their, not their beliefs. Like, you could probably argue with them about some of their beliefs, but you can't deny they have this amazing faith. It just informs all their decisions, all their, all their responses. And you kind of, you meet people like that, and we always wonder, like, how would I respond, like, if something like that happened to me? Can you imagine what your faith would be like if you had just that kind of amazing faith, that, that sort of absolute perfect confidence and assurance there really is a God? And he's a personal God, and he knows your name. And he's a God that will walk beside you every day and has promised never to leave you or forsake you and to see you through everything that comes your way. Like imagine, imagine if you had that kind of faith. The kind of faith where if something really bad happens or maybe you're facing like some huge temptation, but you just trust God and you go, you know what, God knows. God knows he has a plan for my life. He's got this, this perfect will for my life. So I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and do the next right thing. And I'm just going to trust God. And you're totally at peace. Imagine that. Imagine no fear. You know, you're not, no, no fear about your kids. No fear about your marriage. No fear about your finances. No fear about your school or career. It's not that everything goes your way. It's just that there's this un unbelievable faith. God's with you and he's around you. 
and he's working through you and he's seeing you through. Imagine that kind of faith. That'd be incredible. So the question we're going to ask and hopefully answer in the series is just this. Like, where does that kind of unshakable faith come from? And then how do we get it? How do we get it? That's what this series is about. Because that's where God wants to take us. This, this kind of unshakable, amazing, amazing faith. The story of Scripture is the story of God trying to build uh, into people sort of this, this extraordinary, out-of-the-box, over-the-top, can you believe that? You know, like, uh, are you kidding me? Kind of confidence in Him. That's the story of the Old Testament, and it's the story of the New Testament, and it's the story of your life. And the reason is that in the beginning, like, the break with God and man happened around the issue of trust and, and of faith. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, look, the serpent says to the woman, it starts out this way. It says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, actually, no. God, did, God said you could eat from every tree in the garden. Uh, in Genesis 2.9, we're told there were all sorts of trees. They were beautiful to see, delicious to eat from, all kinds of them. The, they could eat from any tree except one. And, and the serpent's like, well, did God really say you, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent is intentionally misquoting God, making it you know, more severe. Making God like be, trying to plant a doubt in the woman's mind. Like, ah, you know, is God really good? You know, doubt the goodness of God. Doubt, doubt that God's got her best interests at heart. And so she begins to think like, well, you know what? I, I don't know. If I really obey God fully, I, I might miss out on something. And, and I guess I got to watch out for myself in this world and got to be prepared to set aside what God says if it's really necessary. See, the decision to sin always involves those kind of thoughts. And, and somewhere there's this, this doubt of God's goodness. And, and the story plays out from there. But in the beginning, the break between God and man wasn't simply a matter of disobedience. It's not like God gave Adam and Eve like a to-do list and they did three out of four and God's like, well, so sorry, you know, too bad, so sad, you're out. You know, that kind of a deal. No, the thing that broke the relationship between God and man was a refusal to trust God. And man decided, like, God, you're withholding something good for me, from me. You can't be trusted. God, I don't think you know what's best for me. You can't be trusted. God, I think you've got an agenda for me other than what you've told me. You can't be trusted. And the relationship break between God and mankind happened over that issue of trust. And God has been reworking the trust thing ever since. See, God's will for your life and the desire of his heart is to draw you into a relationship that is built around absolute perfect confidence. God wants you to have really, really, really big faith uh, in him. That's what God wants. Because imagine if you woke up every day with that kind of confidence. Everything about our lives would change. Everything about our relationships, our, our, our money, our anxiety, our, our outlook, our friends, our enemies, our work, school, everything would be impacted if we woke up with that kind of confidence in God. So that's what God wants for you. He wants to blow up your faith real big and give you big faith. It's interesting in the Old Testament, God created this nation, the, the nation of Israel. Uh, and Israel was to be kind of a model community. So the, the whole point of Israel was to show the rest of the world what it looked like to live in relationship with God. So when God launched Israel as a nation, uh, he did it in the land of Egypt. And the first thing God did was not to give them the Ten Commandments or a bunch of laws. Uh, the first thing God did was reach into Egypt and deliver the nation of Israel and to say, trust me. Trust me, like, I want you to trust me. And the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and said, wow, you know, what a great God, we trust you. And then, once they had established the trust relationship, then God says, okay, now I want to tell you how to live a life. So, not so that we can be in a relationship, but because we already have a relationship. 
You trusted me. You followed me. Now, here's how we live together in a relationship. Live by these laws. But the law didn't precede the relationship. The relationship preceded the law. Because God's desire was always to have a relationship of trust with mankind. So then we come to the New Testament. We shouldn't be surprised to find that the message of Jesus is this. It's not, well, here's some more commandments, and it's not, uh, here's how to be really good and you know, get into heaven, or, or here's, here's a to-do list, and if you do four out of seven, then God will be happy with you. You come to the New Testament, and the driving message of the New Testament is God saying, like, I want you to put your trust in me because I'm trying to reestablish a relationship. And just as a lack of trust in the garden broke that relationship, a realignment of trust will bring it back together. That's why the thing we want for you more than anything else in the world is to place your faith or your trust in Christ as your Savior. Because the relationship with God is initiated through an act of trust, just as the break with mankind happened through a lack of trust. And so, like throughout the New Testament, you can read it for yourself. Like, what is God after? God is after growing up and blowing up our faith and our trust in him. In fact, our mission as a church is to help people grow in their walk with Jesus Christ. What is it that's growing? Well, it's our faith. It's our trust. Because the more confidence and the more trust that you have in a relationship, the better and greater the relationship, right? Like for your marriage, like the best thing that could happen to your marriage is for there just to be like this, this absolute trust, incredible, tr- incredible trust in your, relation, in your marriage. Best thing that could happen between a parent and a child is just like incredible trust. The best relationships are relationships characterized by trust, just by confidence in that other person. That's the nature of a great relationship between people and that's the same is true in our relationship with God. So throughout the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament, God is working to draw men and women back into a faith-based relationship with him. And God's been doing that in your life. He just, he's been trying to get you to trust him. In fact, isn't this true? Like for, for those of you or people you know who would say, like, well, you know, I'm just kind of an explorer. You know, I'm just kind of, see, I'm not really sure, but I'm just kind of like checking out the whole faith thing. I'm a, I'm a seeker. Isn't it true? Like the issue for you, if you get down to it, you know, it's not really obedience. It's not even really like, do I believe this stuff? The issue is, can I turn my whole life over to who, you know, what I think God says? And can I really place my faith and my trust in God? And the tension for some of you is like, well, I, I want to, but I'm not there yet. I want to, but I'm not there yet. And if I, if I were to go, well, well, what's not there yet? I think after we talked, it would be, it's a trust issue. It's a faith issue. I'm not sure I have that much confidence in God. So what is God trying to do? He's trying to blow up your faith real big. He's trying to make it huge because that's the essence of a relationship. More than God wants your obedience and more than than God simply wants you to know a bunch of stuff about him, God wants a relationship characterized by, you know what, I trust you. I trust you. Like, I don't always understand you. I trust you. I don't always, uh, you don't always answer my prayers the way I want. I trust you. Life doesn't always go my way, but why fear? You're on my side. I trust you. God is ultimately in control. And there's a very, very cool passage of Scripture uh, I want to read for just a minute. It's found in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, if you want to follow along. And it's in this passage, Jesus performs two miracles. And there's two expressions of trust by a couple different guys. But here's what's so cool. This is the only time in the Bible where I know of where Jesus is amazed by what somebody does. He's amazed. Lots of people are amazed by what Jesus does. This particular passage is the first and only time you see Jesus go, whoa, whoa, that's amazing. How would you like to be the only person in recorded history that did something that made Jesus go, whoa, you know, did you see that? Like, that's amazing. 
Like, this is the only time it happens. And what's interesting is it doesn't happen around some obedience thing, right? It's not like extraordinary obedience. Like, wow, did you see them not commit adultery? Or did you see, you know, like, that was unbelievable. Or did you see her not lie? It's not a law thing. It's an amazing thing. Let me read the story for you, starting at verse 1. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me, me clean. In other words, like, I don't know if you will, but I think you can. So, so will you do that? I, I believe you can heal me instantly of leprosy. That's a lot of faith. Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now that's quite amazing, you know. Everybody's like, oh yeah, a little golf clap, you know. Like, oh, okay, we'd seen Jesus do that kind of stuff before. You know, Jesus touches somebody and he heals them. And that's a lot of faith, but, you know, like things move on. No big deal. So verse 5, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now a centurion is a Roman soldier who's in charge of about 100 men. Okay, that's where the word centurion comes from. He got 100 men assigned to him. They have to do whatever he says. And you kind of got to use your imagination here because... Like, here's Jesus walking through town with his guys, you know, and this Roman centurion comes toward him. This soldier is like basically the cops back then. You know, he's coming there, got a couple guys flanking him maybe, you know, and the disciples are probably going like, oh man, we're busted, you know, like, oh, Peter, what'd you do now? You know, like, what's going on? You know, like, it's basically the police coming. Here comes this Roman centurion and he's going to ask for help from Jesus. A couple things. First of all, the Romans are the bad guys in first century Judea. These are the bad guys. These are the invaders. These are the ones who, who force people to pay really, really oppressive taxes. These are the people that go, hey, you, you, and you accompany me, and you never see them again. Right? These are the guys you hide your silver from. And these, are, these are not the good guys. Here comes this Roman, pagan, non-God-fearing, law-breaking soldier to Jesus to say, Jesus, I need you to do me a favor. Verse 6 says, Lord, he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now remember, Jews hated the Romans. They hated them. So at this point, Jesus' followers are probably going like, well, good, you know, like I hope he dies and hope whatever he had is contagious and I hope you get it and I hope all hundred of your men get it and I, I hope like other families get it, you know, and you can take it back to the emperor as far as we're concerned. You know, like, come on, Jesus, like, let's go help some Jewish people. You know, like we're not going to help a Roman. So this Roman's like, my servant lies at home paralyzed. Can you help me? Jesus says to him, Shall I come and heal him? To which Jesus' guys are going like, whoa, 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 Jesus, come on, time out. Like, you can't help start helping Romans. Like, the Jewish leadership already think we're kind of crazy. And, you know, you do this, like, we gotta, you got to leave town. It's over for us. Start helping Romans. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And Jesus' disciples are going, you're darn right you don't deserve. You know, we don't even want to be under your roof. You know, that, that's true. But, listen to this. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. In other words, Jesus, I've been watching, and I think there's more to you than, uh, than people realize. I've been watching. I don't need you to come home with me. I think if you just said something, you could, like, heal my servant wirelessly, you know, kind of long-distance sort of video. Like, you know, you don't even have to, you just say something. I think you've got the power. You can just heal my servant from here. That's a lot of faith. And then the soldier gives this explanation, verse 9. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, I know what it's like 
to be under authority, and I know what it's like to exercise authority. Okay, and Jesus, I think you and I have something in common. I've been watching you, and you command illness, and illness obeys you. And I know how this whole authority thing works. There's like a hundred guys who will do whatever I say, and it's not because I'm richer and bigger and stronger and smarter than them. Uh, The only reason these guys do what I say is because I represent Rome. I represent the Roman Empire. And Jesus, I've been watching you. And I, I think that there's more to you than people think. And, and I know you could not do the things that you do if you were not under something or someone bigger than yourself. So Jesus, I know how this works because we got something in common. So you don't have to come heal my servant. You can just do what I do. Just issue a command. And I believe it will be done. Look at Jesus' response. When Jesus heard this, he was little Greek word here, thaumazo. Thaumazo. He was amazed. He was astonished. He marveled. He was, he was astounded. He goes, he goes, whoa. The only time that word's associated with Jesus when somebody does something. Jesus never uh, marveled at or was amazed at anybody's, anybody's knowledge or their obedience. Jesus never responded to somebody but I'm like, oh, you are so smart. That is such a good insight. Like, hey, let me write that down. You know, he never did that. He, he never, never, real shocker, he never was amazed at anybody's obedience. What most amazed Jesus, the thing that got his attention, was somebody's extraordinary, extraordinary faith. Faith that wasn't only in their head, but some, something that was lived out in the reality of life. And Jesus is thinking, wow, I wish all the Jews had the faith of this Roman centurion. Peter, pay attention. Like, come on, Matthew, listen up. Like, like, I wish you guys were more like the Roman centurion. The only time Jesus is ever astounded in the whole New Testament is because of somebody's great faith and confidence in him because they realize, like, hey, wait a minute. You're Jesus and there's somebody working through you. And I can put my confidence in you because of who you represent. You don't need to come to my house. You don't Just say the word. Just say the word. My servant will be healed. Here's how it finishes. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Which is such a put down. I mean, for the Pharisees, his followers, every person in Judea. I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. You know what blows Jesus' mind? Big faith. What moves Jesus is, is big faith. And here's this guy, for all we know, he still worships Zeus. You know, he's never been to the temple. Couldn't get in if he wanted. He doesn't know the Ten Commandments. Doesn't know the Ten anything. He doesn't even speak the language. But he recognized that Jesus had something bigger going on than Jesus. He recognized that Jesus was somehow connected to the creator of life and death. He put two and two together and he expressed that faith. And Jesus is like, wow. 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 You know, that's what I've been trying to tell the rest of you. That's what I've been trying to accomplish. The whole reason I came was so that men and women would say, I have absolute confidence in Jesus. Because Jesus represents God. So what do I have to worry about? I'm in the presence of Jesus. You don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word. I've got absolute confidence because of who you are and who you're working for. That's big faith. Read the rest of the New Testament. What God is after, what's most honoring to God, is faith. And not just because he wants us to obey him. Like if God wanted, he could make like a billion obedient drones just to do whatever they wanted to do. He wanted them to do. God wants to build our faith because the greater the faith, the greater the relationship. And the stronger the relationship, the more intimacy you have with your Heavenly Father. And that's what is his heart's desire. So all that leads to the question, well, if God is into this big, big, big faith, what results in big, big, big faith? 
what blows up and grows up our faith. Uh, uh, about a quarter of a century ago now, Andy Stanley and the team down at North uh, Point Community Church began to study that question. They did lots of surveys and questionnaires and uh, heard, listened to people's stories, and they kind of condensed and boiled down to uh, about five categories. They concluded there's five different categories of things, five dynamics that help catalyze a person's faith and help it, help it to grow. And so we are going to discover for ourselves what those five faith catalysts are and dig into them to see how we can begin to leverage them for our lives. Now, these are not things that you do. It's not a to-do list, but they're, they're kind of categories or dynamics that help you grow your faith up and make it real big. Now, these are not five things listed in the Bible. You know, there's not a list, so you can't go to Second Hesitations 4.12 and, you know, find the list of these five things. Uh, it's not a thus saith the Lord. They're just observations about the way spiritual life works. And it's helpful for us to know about them so that we can get environments where we're likely to experience them in order to help grow our faith up and make it real big. And being aware of these dynamics prepares us to, makes us more sensitive to the ways of God as he seeks to grow our faith. So part of your assignment uh, this week is to think through your own faith journey. You know, maybe, maybe you're at the seeker-explorer stage and it's really short so far, but maybe you've been a, a Christ follower for a long time. And, and you can kind of graph it out, and it goes a little bit up, and then there's like this little jump, and it goes for a while, and then there's a jump. What is it that made it jump? What, what grew up your faith? What was it? And you think about your story. Maybe you can jot it down if you want and kind of graph it out. But what are those things? What, what were the dynamics? What were some of the circumstances? Uh, what were the things that were involved in growing up your faith? And I'll bet you anything as we, we walk through these five different uh, faith uh, catalysts that you're going to find something and be like, oh yeah, that fits in that category. That's really true. That's true. Um, because this is just, this is, uh, is biblical. It's not, it's not from the Bible directly, but it's all biblical stuff. This is the way God works in our lives. It's interesting, like you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you look at the people who back then were like the goodest people, you know, like they, they were like the, the whole goodest people in the whole culture. They didn't recognize Jesus because, you know, they had it all together. You know, they didn't need a lot of faith. There's no moment-by-moment faith or, or dependency or trust in the God who had invited them to call him Heavenly Father. So Jesus comes along and goes, Hey, can I have your attention, please? All you get, uh, good Jews. I want you to meet my friend, the Roman centurion. He doesn't know squat about the Old Testament. He's never been to the temple. But this man here has more faith than anybody I've met. And I'm astonished because that's what I want for my people. So that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks is, is look at these five faith catalysts. And at the end of the day, I hope you'll be smarter and I hope you'll you know, be more obedient. But even more than that, I hope we're all more dependent on God and more confident in God and that we trust him more as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope that we have big faith. Would you pray with me? God, Father, thank you so much that you put so much effort and desire into getting our attention to growing not just our faith and our trust, but our relationship with you. You desire to have an intimate, close relationship with us, God. Thank you for loving us so much. And we love you. Now, God, we ask for wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. We, uh, we also ask for courage to do it, to put into practice what you are guiding us to do. And Lord, we look forward to uh, meeting together again and learning more and growing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.